0: Of all the acronyms used by Unitarian Universalists, and if you haven't found out yet, you will soon, you will soon, that we love our acronyms. Did you see the video of the CLF service? Today, we're talking about possible changes to the UUA bylaws. Will we be doing a special service for UUSC this year? Janet Murphy, I just introduced, as our DRE. How many are going to GA? And of course, isn't it wonderful to be here at UUSLO? Don't worry if you don't know all of those, except for that last one, of course. And if you hear initials thrown around that you don't understand, please remind us to clarify. But of all the acronyms we Unitarian Universalists use, I have to say I am particularly fond of that which names the Young Religious Unitarian Universalists. Y-R-U-U. It holds a provocative question, right? Why are you, you, as in why am I, me? And with the addition of just another you, it forms a second provocative question. Why are you, you, you? Why are you, you, you? Why are you Unitarian Universalist? Why am I Unitarian Universalist? What is it that makes you, I, us, Unitarian Universalist. What is it that brings us together in community? Why do we come together? That inspires us to join together in worship. That sends us forth into the world with a mission. It is a question that has followed us throughout our history. And a question that we, Unitarian Universalists, explicitly and intentionally engage and re-engage on a regular basis. Those who have completed the homework provided in our newsletter will know this is exemplified most recently through the work of what is known as the Article II Commission, who are working on creating a proposed revision of the section of the UUA, Unitarian Universalist Association bylaws that presently include the purpose, the principles, and the sources of this, what we call our living tradition. You heard the children's adaptations of our current seven principles earlier, and you can read the full text of the principles and sources in the front of each hymnal and on our website. For a time, just after the Article II Commission was formed, we included principles and sources in each service to refamiliarize ourselves with them until congregants politely started saying, Okay, enough already with the principles. Just teasing. Kind of. <laughs> and you may very much like our current principles and sources. I do. So why change them? This is the answer provided in the recommended reading. For some institutions, the equivalent of Article 2 would be regarded as a permanent statement of belief. Ours, however, is a living tradition. We commit ourselves to regularly revisiting our principles and purposes, to ensure that we are relevant, that as we grow in understanding, our principles and purposes grow too. Since new occasions teach new duties, we must continually examine our principles and purposes to see what is missing, what is no longer important, and whether the language communicates our core values to the current times. In other words, how do we best articulate in this place and time what lies at the center of Unitarian Universalism? Finding our center. It is not about finding the perfect words. It is a recognition that there are no perfect words. That every formulation we come up with will be partial. That every expression is of a particular time and place. That every articulation arises from the awareness we collectively hold at the time. And that precisely because of this we are called to engage with the process of finding our center on an ongoing, intentional, explicit basis. Because, let's face it, not having a single creed, a common sacred text, a shared allegiance to a particular prophet or story or formulation of truth can leave us feeling a little anxious. (laughs) It allows us at our best to draw the circle wider still, to hear those voices at the margins challenging us to expand our understanding and acceptance, to not only draw the circle wide, but to redraw the circle, and in so doing to reimagine its boundaries and renew our understanding of what lies at the center. With joy, we claim the growing light, advancing thought and widening view, the larger freedom, clearer sight, which from the old unfold the new. But with each expansion, new understanding, reformulation, as we draw and redraw, as we move and change, the question arises, what then, or more accurately, what now are we? How would we best define the heart of our Unitarian Universalist faith today? What is at its center? Attempts have been made throughout history to answer that question. The Universalists in 1803 adopted the Winchester Confession, a statement of belief that affirmed the central doctrine that God's love encompassed all in ultimate salvation but they added a liberty clause that allowed individual congregations to adopt their own more particular statements of belief if they were not in conflict with this general profession of faith. William Channing Gannett crafted a statement in 1887 for the Unitarians called, and I love this, I love this title for its forthright acceptance of diversity way back then. It was called Things most commonly believed among us. (laughs) Not all of us, mind you, will believe all of these things, but here's a quick sample. We believe that to love the good and live the good is the supreme thing in religion. It's not bad. In 1894, a new preamble to the Constitution was adopted at the National Conference of Unitarian Congregations, stating in part that these churches accept the religion of Jesus summed up in love love to God and love to man but also stated that nothing in the Constitution was construed to be an authoritative test and that all were welcome who were in general sympathy with our spirit and our practical aims. Skipping ahead to 1961, there were the original principles adopted at the merger of Unitarianism and Universalism. And I want to read these just to give you a sense of what was um, agreed upon then in accordance with these corporate purposes, the members of the Unitarian Universalist Association dedicated to the principles of a free faith unite in seeking number one, to strengthen one another in a free and disciplined search for truth as the foundation of our religious fellowship. Two, to cherish and spread the universal truths taught by the great prophets and teachers of humanity in every age and tradition, immemorially summarized in the Judeo-Christian heritage as love to God and love to man. Three, to affirm, defend, and promote the supreme worth of every human personality, the dignity of man, and the use of the democratic method in human relationships. Four, to implement our vision of one world by striving for a world community founded on ideals of brotherhood, justice, and peace. Five, to serve the needs of member churches and fellowships, to organize new churches and fellowships, and to extend and strengthen liberal religion. And number six, to encourage cooperation with men of goodwill in every land. Why did we ever change those? (laughs) I'm teasing a bit. There is more than a little resonance in the ideas and aspirations expressed with our current principles. But the language is rather jarring, right? The dignity of man, ideals of brotherhood, men of goodwill. We have learned that how we say things matters. And in the words from the piece describing the Article 2 commission, we want the language to communicate our core values to the current times. Thankfully, this language did not go unchallenged, and the UU Women's Federation supported a women and religion resolution that sought to introduce inclusive language in the principles and throughout the association's communications This was the impetus for a complete revision of the principles which resulted in the principles we currently covenant to affirm and promote. Our seven principles, which have held a profound place in our congregational life and in the lives of many congregations, were adopted at the 1985 General Assembly. So the current language in Article 2 is a relatively recent creation, about 37 years old, with some additions and modifications along the way. For example, if you look in our hymnals, in some of our older hymnals, you'll see that there are only five sources listed. The sixth source was adopted in 1995. The language of the second source was revised from prophetic women and men to prophetic people to include non-binary people as well as children and youth. This congregation, along with many other congregations adopted the eighth principle. It has not been adopted association wide. However, it has greatly influenced the work of the article to commission the work is ongoing. We are not trying to capture immutable truths upon which we can agree. We are after something different. We are attempting to articulate that to which we hold ourselves accountable, language that shows up in the eighth principle adopted by this congregation and in the current draft of the Article 2 revision. We are not talking so much about what we believe but about what we will do, how we want to be in the world. The principles, or in the words of the current draft from the Article 2 Commission, the values and covenant, do not so much provide an answer to a metaphysical question as call forth a response from within our individual and communal experience. Ideology knows the answer before the question has been asked, writes journalist George Packer in The Unwinding, An Inner History of the New America. Ideology knows the answer before the question has been asked. Principles are something different, a set of values that have to be adapted to circumstances but not compromised away. Principles and values can be adapted to new contexts, greater understanding, revised language, but that does not lessen their importance. They are flexible, but they are not negotiable. I come to church and would, whether I was a preacher or not, writes A. Paul Davies, because I fall below my own standards and need to be brought back to them. The existing principles and sources have served us well. And whatever revision is affirmed by the majority of congregational delegates at upcoming GAs, general assemblies, will serve us well as our best attempt in a particular place and time to create language that will call us back to our standards, that will inspire us to reach toward our highest aspirations, that will sharpen our consciences, that will remind us that there are things we must do in the world, unselfish things, things undertaken at the level of idealism. Our best and most faithful attempt to articulate our deepest values, reflecting our own desire to hold ourselves accountable to our own best selves and our own deepest hopes for the world around us. That is what I want to feel, as expressed by A. Powell Davies. I want to feel, again, the love I owe to all living things. My need for our principles and values arises from the stunningly obvious fact that I am not alone. I share this world with others, other human beings and other living things, and from the unavoidable fact that life is messy. To reacquaint myself with what is at our center, with why I am you, you, is to remind myself that this is not a place to hide nor a place to get away from the world with all of its confusion and complexity, but a place to be with you all, engaging the world as it is, attempting to clarify what can be confounding and gathering strength to move ahead with courage and, yes, with joy. So, I hope this will inspire you to stay tuned to our weekly news and to, uh, for information about the Article 2 proposals. As dry as that sounds, remember it is about the work of finding and articulating as best we can our center. It is exciting. It is important. It is about what matters. It is what comes to your mind and your heart when the question is posed Why are you, you, you? Happy New Year. (laughs) I invite you now to rise as you wish and join in singing a New Year's song, number 350, The Ceaseless Flow of Endless Time in the Gray Hymnal, or you may follow the words on the screen.